Live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. Good afternoon to everybody across the world and across the country. Welcome to the Water Zone Show. Uh, I'm Rob Starr, along with Mr. Chris Davies, and we are the host of the show. And we hope everybody's having a super-duper afternoon, and I hope everybody's in a nice place for weather. I know back east, like in Alabama and other places, they're having severe storms, and uh, it's just not a good thing. But I uh, hope everybody else is doing okay. Mr. Chris, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. As you know, uh, Rob, I was back east Monday, Tuesday, and yesterday. Uh, just ahead of those storms, I was doing some training. And by the way, getting some training. You never do any training without getting some yourself because you always learn something new. But I was in the Washington, D.C. area, Richmond, Lynchburg, Virginia area, and it was beautiful back there. Well, good. Well, I'm glad you had good weather and you flew back with no uh, no, no problems. Uh, how, now, you're back in California, so how are you doing over there? What's What's happening out there? So it's still the uh, night and early morning low clouds, right? But uh, the early morning low clouds are sticking around all day still. This is going to be the coolest June, uh, I believe, uh, since like 1983 or some date like that, a long time ago, uh, that's, been on, that's been on record. Very cool. Wow. No summer here well, yet. 90, well, it's 98 degrees right now out here in Arizona, and it's, Ramping up this weekend to 105 is what they predict. So, but it's beautiful. Uh, last night we had a bunch of people over in its uh, backyard. It was really nice, cool breeze, and uh, worked out well. Hey, so what's? Um, I know there's some things happening with the uh, irrigation association. If you want to just bring a quick update to that, on I do. The rest just want to do a quick. We'll go right in. Yeah. Yep, just want to do a quick one because um, you know they're they're changing the landscape award. Right, that's coming up, and the deadline to. Uh, for anyone who wants to submit um, a design or something, it's coming up on July 1. So you haven't got much time. So if, if you're out there, you're a contractor, landscape irrigation contractor, outdoor lighting contractor, whatever, and you've done a project that took on difficult objectives, and you know, but in the end you got a great result out of it, share that with the IA, submit it for the uh, Changing the Landscape Award, and Boy, there's a, just a great chance that you can get the recognition you deserve. You'll be in the Irrigation and Lighting magazine featured in there. But remember, the deadline is July 1st. Go to irrigationandlighting.org and sign up. Yeah, and, and, and just for uh, people to know, you don't have to be a member of the Irrigation Association. Just some great project, that, as Chris said, that you took on a challenge and you crushed it. Uh, right. Get some free publicity, and it's, it's an awesome thing to go. Well, let's bring in Miss Chris Austin, who's the Maven, who's the Maven of Maven's Notebook. And Chris, how are you doing? And welcome back. Hey, I'm doing great up here in the beautiful North State. A nice 93 degrees outside. So uh, we've had a lot of thunderstorms. Actually, had some substantial rain overnight a few nights ago. But yes, it it is a a cooler than normal summer for which uh, we should all be very very grateful. Uh, because with all that snow in the mountains, if we had had a big warm-up, it would have been, uh, you know, really could have been catastrophic. But it's been a remarkably cool summer. I should say, you know, people like to talk about, you know, 
California is this, you know, terrible place. But Mother Nature smiled on us this year, folks. Brought us all this snow and then kept it cool so that we can, I mean, when as it melts slowly, it's much easier to manage. There's a lot of groundwater recharge going on. There's, you know, um, there is some flooding in the southern uh, San Joaquin Valley, but the feeling is that the worst of it is has passed. It's already been at the peak and it's starting to recede. So, you know, California dodges a bullet <laughs> again. Yeah. You Absolutely. Know. I know Chris and I were talking the other day about the, uh, the California water tunnel as it hangs over the budget talks as the legislators are challenging uh, uh, your governor Newsom in this thing. What's happening with that in a little bit more detail? Well, Newsom has proposed a, a plan to make it easier to build infrastructure, of, of which the Delta Tunnel would be one piece of that. You know, we do have this environmental law called the California Environmental Quality Act. It's sort of a similar to the uh, national... Uh, environmental policy after NEPA in in the federal realm, and it requires agencies that are pursuing projects to do quite a detailed environmental analysis. Uh, it is such um, it. I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought, but um, <laughs> that happens sometimes. The train left yeah. the station without me on it. Uh, <laughs> but you know the 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 CEQA, as it's called, the California Envi- Environmental Quality Act, CEQA. Um, it, you know, it has been used to uh, block projects. Uh, it does add to the cost of projects, and uh, and and I think that uh, everyone honestly agrees that. Some changes are needed, but how to go about making these changes is very difficult. Um, So Newsom sort of proposed this bill to sort of change that that act uh, so that it can be, you know, it it would make it easier to build all, all kinds of infrastructure, including the Delta Tunnel. This is not specific to the Delta Tunnel. It's specific to infrastructure of all kinds. In, in California, and uh, you know, he's not proposing this as a piece of legislation that moves normally uh, through the legislature. Where you know, if a if a legislate legislator proposes a, a piece of legislation, uh, they hold public hearings on it. Uh, I think there has to, they have some very, you know, strong requirements. Uh, it has to pass certain committees. Uh, and it, there's, so there's a process where the public can weigh in. Uh, what Newsom is proposing is what's called the budget trailer bill. And this is something that they also kind of do on the federal level. Uh, but, you know, what what he does is he, he could attach this piece of legislation to the budget, and the budget has to be passed by a certain date by the legislator. So it's kind of a way to uh, get things through without a lot of uh, legislat- legislative approval, I guess you would say, because, uh, you know, they can't 
say, well, we approve the budget, but not that piece of it. They have to approve the whole budget. And, uh, you know, it's so a number of things uh, have been uh, passed on these budget trailer bills. And this is what is being proposed, another, another budget trailer bill. Uh, don't, don't they add a lot of stuff to the, the initial main portion of what they want to do and try to fill in with a bunch of other little things they want to push through as well? Kind of screws things up. Well, there, you know, I I think the numbers are the numbers, uh, but the the budget trailer bills are sort of the add-ons, and they don't necessarily uh, require money. They and in this instance, I'm not sure it it has anything to do with money. I don't think he's setting aside any particular money for to for infrastructure. He's just proposing to make it easier to build it. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, the legislature has, legislature has till the end of today to pass the budget or they stop getting paychecks. Well, they, they did this because I guess, uh, several years ago, uh, people were tired of, of the legislature, uh, not getting a budget done until late in the summer. And so, they they said okay now you got to pass it by June fifteenth and if you don't then you don't get a paycheck till you do so it's amazing all the hearings in Sacramento grind to a halt while they work on this budget process but they usually do get something passed so we'll see what happens we'll see if it includes this trailer bill um, you know it's hard that there's no doubt that the environmental uh, laws and and this, this environmental review needs to be uh, you know the process needs to be looked at and changes need to be made. I just I, I'm just not a fan of it being done in this way without input from the public uh, and and from the people that have to implement this piece of legislation should it pass. Yeah. Um, you know. So we'll see what happens. This happens on the federal level, too. You know, these omnibus bills that they pass and people stick in these amendments that, uh, you know, the vast majority have nothing to do with uh, with the omnibus bill. It, they're just a way to tack in uh, pieces of legislation uh, that, you know, and, and get it jammed through through Congress without any kind of public process. It's, it, it, it is the one, uh, I think, the one sort of dark side of our legislative uh, process. Yep. Agreed. So I also, I also hear that uh, you were writing about uh, Sacramento, Yolan, and San Joaquin communities are bracing in Newsom's plan to dismantle environmental protections. Well, yeah, that's the, that's the, that's the same story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they're the the you know the people who are against the tunnel are most focused on the tunnel aspect of this. But again, the piece of legislation is not focused on the tunnel itself. It's focused on all infrastructure, of which the tunnel is one piece. Well, okay. So let me let me ask you both a question. If you agree, you were it's. Now about four seventeen in in what uh, in Western Pacific time, and I think we're all adults. Is that correct, Chris? You're Mr. Chris is an adult. You're an adult. 
So I think it's time that we start talking dirty. And Chris Davey, yeah. I'm going to let you start with the dirty portions about our water. What's going on with the dirty water? Um, I, does this have anything to do with the second half of the show, Rob? Because uh, that's going to be that's going to be pretty interesting. Well, I, that will be. But this we're talking about from Tijuana all the way up to Washington. Yes, I know. So I mean, you know, right here locally in you know Santa Monica Beach, they just put out you know the report that says these beaches are good, got a good grade. These beaches are okay. And these beaches are not so good and got a bad grade. Right here in Santa Monica, very popular beach, thousands if not millions of, of tourists per year, got a failing grade. Uh, absolutely. So, you know, uh, Chris Austin, there seems to be lots of uh, uh, problems coming from Tijuana about the sewage spillage coming in. And, and the biggest thing they're seeing there is fecal bacteria. And maybe you can give us a little background on what's happening with, with that with the U.S. and Mexico on that part of it. What's, well, what do you think should happen? Well, yeah, the the problem there is that Tijuana just does not have a uh, wastewater treatment, prog- uh, treatment plant that is up to the task of uh, what's being, the sewage that's being produced in Tijuana. And it's, um, you know, Tijuana is not a rich, City and Mexico is not a rich country, and I think, you know, getting an adequate wastewater treatment plant in there is not high on their list, um, but there's a lot of focus. They're really trying to get uh, something going to solve this problem. Uh, these people that live in Imperial Beach live right next to the ocean, and most, you know, most of the year they can't. Uh, they can't swim in it uh, due to to the pollution. But you know, there's there's pollution, uh, you know, all over the place. As Heal the Bay pointed out, you know, even though we had all this wet weather, um, you know, there still was a lot of uh, a, a lot of uh, pollution on the beach, uh, unsafe to swim in, kind of thing. So, um, and this, I think what only two beaches were. <laughs> were considered clean uh, this year. 51, I guess, were considered clean last year. But, you know, a lot of the problem is sewage spills. So when we have, you know, there there still are places in California uh, that have uh, these sewer systems that uh, can can overflow when there's a lot of heavy rain that, that uh, flows into them. Uh, and, uh, you know, even now <laughs> there's still these systems here in, in, uh, in California. So, uh, it, it would be nice if we could get these, you know, these, all, all the systems so that they didn't do this, but yeah, um, you know, the beach is, it's really lovely, the beach, and you really hope that you can go there and swim without, uh, having to deal with this, but. Well, I was, I was going to just curious to ask Chris Davy. Chris, I, I know you're an avid uh, fisherman and outdoors guys. How how does that affect fishing? I mean, it, you know, do they got to go way offshore to start going to get fish, or you know, or, or yeah. Or so, just, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So 
so in the yeah no problem but in the coastal waters right i mean some of that report if you read deep in it get right into the uh you know the depth of that report <clears throat> a lot of the four beach reports are from sewage spills but a big contributor this year was in fact the amount of rain that we had all the runoff of the um you know urban rivers that have been you know sitting in dry arid weather for many many consecutive years and then all of a sudden you know we get a year with unprecedented rain well everything that's accumulated in there you know every candy wrapper every cigarette butt every um piece of trash gets washed out uh, into the ocean so from a fishing standpoint really it's just the close in parts of the uh, close to the beach i mean the uh relative half mile to three-quarter mile stretch off the beach that get that gets affected as soon as the outflows of those rivers hit the ocean, they're impacted by the California current and the shore mm-hmm. current. And if you've been to the beach here, you see it. I mean, it's pretty swift sometimes. And and so most of the contaminants get dropped off and and pollute the close-in local beaches. So fishing's okay if you go offshore a few miles, or you go out to Catalina, or you go deep sea fishing out where the you know the large yellowfin and bluefin tuna are. It's okay out there. The pollution really affects just the proximate um, areas right around beaches and piers. Uh, well, like in, well Newport, like in Newport Beach, when I see people fishing in the bay, you know, little kayaks and stuff like that, so would that be a bad thing to do then? Uh, I've taken my kayak recently to Newport Harbor and, and fished, um, and it's, it's been the same. I really didn't see any difference. I didn't see any extra pollution, nor did I see any less. Than it you, is. You, you, you didn't glow at night or anything like like the like the highway patrolman who who stopped me a couple of weeks ago i asked him do you catch and release he he was kind enough to do that for me and that's what i do with my fish <laughs> <laughs> good answer so uh chris austin what's 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 other important thing that's happening this week um well let's see <laughs> um well, we're, besides the infrastructure plan, um, you know, uh, LADWP is having some uh, issues out there at Owens Lake. We're having all the runoff in the eastern Sierra is being, uh, it's very challenging for them. They have a whole dust control, uh, 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 they're they're addressing dust control at the lake, but now they have you know all the the measures that they've taken could uh, really damage the the work that they've done. So uh, mm-hmm. we'll see. Yeah, it's the the lake is expected to be eight times the size that it normally is. So uh, you know that's that's a bit of a challenge there. Oh yeah. Well, you think. You think we'll get all the infrastructure programs? I, I, well, that's, that's that's way too wishing for. I well, mean, do you think they'll yeah. do do any substantial uh, projects this year to really try to kick off and do? I think we're just going to be trying to uh, respond to the precipitation that we've got, and you know, the, there have been high flows, and there's some repair work to be done on certain things. So, um, you know. The, the good thing is we have lots of water this year, so that's yep. great. 
Um, you know, unfortunately for some of the farmers, their fields are still underwater or in the, you know, in the southern San Joaquin Valley or otherwise too muddy to be worked. But, um, but at least we have water this year. So that's great. And, uh, you know, there's a, a fair amount of groundwater recharge going on with these flows. We'll see what the numbers are when it's, you know, when the, the season is done. But I think that, uh, you know, it's pretty, I, I think we can all say that uh, there should be some uh, upwards tick in groundwater levels this year that should be noticeable. Uh, so, you know, like I said at the beginning of the show, Mother Nature smiled on California. So for all of you folks that think we're going to fall off into the ocean, you know, Mother Nature came to the rescue this year. Uh, so we're living a charmed life out here in California. Yep, we sure yep. we certainly are. We certainly are. First, you so, know, I did. I sorry, Rob. I was just going to say I didn't get no. much of a chance to read all of the postings. Well, one of them was, you know, I read the the posting about the return of El Nino, as you as you know, the maps show that the Central Pacific is heating up fairly well, uh, more than normal this time. But I was a little bit disappointed. I mean, it was all you know, it was all grim and uh, and you know, downward looking, right? Kind of this dystopian view of what of what we can expect, and and uh, I was a bit disappointed in uh, in in the way that article came out. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll we'll see. You know, the truth is that what you know, the fact that it's El Nino uh, doesn't mean it's going to be anything that we can really point to, but it does mean that there, you know, there is a chance that we could have another really wet year. Uh, because it's El Nino, but there's a chance we could have a really dry year uh, because right. it's El Nino, and <laughs> you never really know. Right. Um, Unpredictable. You know. Yes, absolutely. At least for California, somebody somewhere, somebody somewhere will get a lot of precipitation. Uh, we don't right. know where that's going to be. <laughs> it could be here. It could be elsewhere. Uh, Probably, probably Seattle, Washington. Rains, hey, every day. Rains every day at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> One of those spots. So, Well, Chris, let me tell your listeners, uh, for those of you who want to get the latest in California water news, and the best way to get it is go to mavensnotebook.com. Become a subscriber. It gets to come to your PC or laptop or your your uh, handhelds uh, every morning. It's a great way to be updated on all the behind-the-scenes things, um, what's going on in legislation and different different areas in the, in the state. Uh, you can also become a sponsor. Uh, again, you go to www.mavensnotebook.com. You will not regret it. It's the best piece of updated information about water in your state that uh, you can ever get. So, Chris, thank you very much. I'm glad you're back. We missed you last week. And... Uh, uh, we will enjoy you again next week, as we always do, and uh, you have a great weekend. You too. Good night, everybody. Have a great week, Chris. All right, Bye-bye. we're going to take, take a little break, and we'll be right back with a special, some special guests about an interesting topic. And so stick around; it'll uh, really uh, tweak your minds when you hear what, what it is. So we'll be right back. KCAA Loma Linda. 
the Legacy KCAA 1050 AM and Express 106.5 FM. Moving up in this industry means getting the most out of each day so you can focus on growing your business. With Site One, you're in control and we're here to help. It starts with the right team. Our irrigation pros can help map out a complete, streamlined system that meet any requirements or regulation. And from the first dig to years after install, knowledgeable experts are available in branch or resources are available online to help find solutions specific to your needs. Next, we make sure you have the right tools to get the job done with the largest selection of top brands in the industry, bringing the latest in Wi-Fi enabled controllers, rotors, sprays, valves, and drip components. And because hard work should always be rewarded, you'll receive personalized pricing and earn loyalty points on qualifying purchases to help you grow. You're in control. Site One is here to help. Water is one of the biggest expenses for communities, HOAs, universities, golf courses, and resorts. So keeping those costs under control, especially when rates are increasing while water supplies are being reduced, are often essential to a customer's survival. Managing water requires multiple skills, which is why it's been complicated and difficult until now. AquaTrack brings multiple skills and technologies together to help large system users conserve outdoor water and improve the health of their landscapes. AquaTrack's professionals are certified landscape water managers and certified landscape irrigation auditors. The company offers audit services, upgrade advice, technical expertise, and water use monitoring. We already manage irrigation water for the largest homeowner associations in Arizona, and we're prepared to bring our knowledge and experience to help others, including landscapers and designers. Give us a call and hear how AquaTrack saved one HOA some 430 million gallons of water and $200,000 in annual water expenses. AquaTrack is Arizona-based, and you can reach us at 623-594-8689. That's 623-594-8689. Five nine four eight six eight nine. This is KCAA. All right, uh, welcome back to the second half of the Water Zone Show. Everybody's having a great time. Um, Chris, I know. You and I like, and our family likes good wine. And, and, and uh, there is a difference in, in wines because of the taste, and everybody has a different palate. But, you know, I stumbled across some people that uh, wanted to be like sommeliers about water because they're claiming that water all over the world tastes differently, whether it's bottled water, spring water, river water, packaged, you know, it's a whole thing. So they, they started this little organization in school to teach people how to become like a water sommelier. Pretty interesting. And uh, it's a guy named Michael Masha and uh, Lynn Burke, and she's from England, and he is from the U.S. So uh, it's an interesting conversation that we were talking about. So let's, uh, let's take a listen to it. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. We are here to explore why water is not just water. My name is Michael Masha, and I'm here based in the U.S. And joining us from Paris will be Elena Burke. She is a professor for environmental science at the American University in, in Paris. Welcome, Elena. 
Thank you. I'm really excited to be here um, and to have a conversation with you over several episodes, I hope, um, about the environmental impact of bottled water um, and other questions about fine water. Great. So can you give us a little bit of a, of a background? Where, how, how did you come up to the moment of, you know, that we engage here and sitting here in a conversation about water? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting story and it's an unexpected story. So I, I didn't, I didn't have a life plan to uh, become an expert in water or to um, uh, kind of go in this direction. My background is actually in anthropology. So I have a master's in biological anthropology uh, where I focused on uh, primate behavior, so the behavior of monkeys and lemurs. I did a lot of field work where I traveled all over the world working with different species. Um, and then I did a, a PhD in animal behavior at UC Davis. So I was working at that point in, in um, looking at social behavior, so the evolution of social behavior in different kinds of animals um, and worked specifically with um, a bird in Costa Rica looking at its, its social behaviors. So I didn't come into this with that specific background, um, but I uh, found a position at the American University of Paris. This is a liberal arts institution that thinks across many disciplines in everything that we do. Um, and I realized that even though I've, I've become an evolutionary biologist, um, I've worked with primates, I've worked with birds. Uh, before I came here, I was working with uh, beetles and I now have a population in this lab where I am here, a population of, of sea beetles that I study, trying to understand the evolution of behavior. Um, so I came at water in part because I'm at this liberal arts college where we're teaching across disciplines and I happen to be in the Department of Environmental Science, uh, well, it's the Department of Math, Computer Science and Environmental Science because we're a small place where all of us are housed together. And um, one of my jobs is to tackle questions about environmental science. So I basically trained myself to be an environmental scientist on top of my background in social behavior. And one of the big questions that comes up all the time with my students is um, uh, about the bottled water industry and about ways that we can reduce our carbon footprint. So that's kind of where we come into uh, uh, my interest in water. I have a similar background, but you know, a different pathway. I'm, I'm also an anthropologist. I was a professor for um, and visual anthropology at USC University of Southern California for a while. I call it in a former, former life. I, at the university, I discovered that I like money and we started a couple of software companies. And only in 2002, I discovered water and it was almost by accident. One day I didn't feel too well and I went to my cardiologist and the cardiologist basically gave me a choice. He said I could continue drinking alcohol or I could live. I had a wine collection of about 500 bottles at home. So I hesitated a little bit, but together with my wife, I think we made the right decision and I eliminated alcohol from my life. What that means is, and if you drink alcohol, if you're interested in wine, it's not only to get drunk through the alcohol, you're really interested in experiences, sharing with friends, the bottle on the table, discovering new things. And this bottle was suddenly removed from my experience. And I looked around and was looking for something else. And if you remove the wine bottle from the table, there's only one other bottle left on the table and that's water. 
So what I did, I focused my Epicurean curiosity away from the, from the wine onto the water. This was in 2002. And for the next six years, no one was talking to me because this was a total crazy idea that water has character, water can be matched with food, water is not just water. It was a laughable idea. Only slowly in about 2008 or so, it started becoming a trend. And right now, as you know, you know everyone knows that water is not just water. And that will be the topic of our, of our, of our podcast here. And it's, it's really fascinating to me to be at that point here. And together with Martin Riese, Two years ago, we started Define Water Academy. We're training now water sommeliers from around the world. And about a year ago, we had one really, really interesting candidate inquiring to become a water sommelier. And this was uh, Elena from the American University in Paris. And of course, because of our similar background, we immediately connected. And with her environmental background, we said, well, maybe we should tackle a big subject from uh, scientific and a very broad base and really try to solve something. So what this is here is not a final product. This is a process of two people talking and exploring the possibility and putting some foundation under the concept of why water is not just water. Well, I, that's exactly it, that I came to this academy um, and what was, what was immediately clear to me was the passion that you and Martin had for, for water. And I, I didn't, understand that at first. I think I came at it more because I had this environmental perspective and I wanted to understand, I guess, the industry from the inside. I wanted to understand what drove people to care about um, this uh, part of the industry that I actually didn't even know about before, um, maybe a year before that. Um, I didn't realize there were um, fine waters from small companies that were producing really interesting, dynamic products. I didn't know about that. Um, what I saw, what I heard with my environmental science background was, well, there are these big evil companies that produce, that take this stuff and they put it in bottles um, and that this is something we needed to fight against. Um, so I think I came at, at the sort of whole topic of water from a, um, a fairly narrow perspective because I didn't have the background yet to understand that it was more complex than that. Um, the other way I came to it was through my environmental science class. I teach several environmental science classes, but one of them, um, I, I was looking for a lab to do. Uh, I had originally planned a computer lab where the students had to analyze climate change temperature data over several class periods. And I had done this lab before and the students, they liked, they appreciated the first one, but the idea of doing a second and third one just made me feel ill. <laughs> and I knew that the students needed something different that could really help them understand the scientific method um, and how scientists come up with questions. So we, I devised sort of midnight, the night before my class, I devised a lab on water tasting, on bottled water tasting. Um, and it was a, a simple non-blind blind experiment. So this combination of of setting bottles out in front of the students. They had name recognition, particularly in Paris, where people often drink specific brands of bottled water that they love, whether that's Evian or Volvic or whatever their particular tastes are. Um, I set those out in front of them and I asked the students to taste those waters and then rank them. And then I gave them the exact same waters 
without in a beaker, basically with no ability for the students to see what they were tasting. And I found that they suddenly there was a confusion with what water was what, um, and that often they were um, ranking tap water higher than they did when they knew that it was tap water. So this became this question for me of, okay, well, taste is this interesting question. Like, it seems like when you just give people blind taste tests of waters that are of similar uh, mineral content, they can't tell the difference very well. So what does this mean? And I actually put my head together with um, a professor who was here at AUP, but is now at CSU Fresno, Kevin Capehart, um, who writes about the economics of bottled water. And he and I decided to run an experiment where we did a formal taste test with this category that I'd never heard of, sort of this fine water category, because um, he's interested in the economics of um, uh, uh, these smaller business models with lower production and higher price points. So we put together this whole taste test and it was a lot of fun. It was fascinating. We ended up publishing it in the Journal of Wine Economics. Um, and it made me also skeptical, but also curious. So it was my introduction to this fine water world, but it was also um, on the heels of having shown that it was hard to tell the difference between waters. So I came in to this whole question about water with skepticism. And um, I, I, I didn't plan to go this route. I don't know if you recall, Michael, but when I first inquired, I just wanted to do one of the short courses because I just felt that I needed more information. I didn't see myself becoming a connoisseur. Um, and you encouraged me to take the full course. I think you recognized that curiosity in me and maybe our, our shared academic backgrounds. And you um, really encouraged me to, to dive in. And I just had a really good time. And I started to Get a bunch of waters. A Paris is a wonderful place to be. There's a tremendous variety of, of water. I started to taste the difference. I started to understand the impact um, that these different flavors had on me. And I started to dig into what I think is a really complicated question, which is what, why has bottled water become such a contentious um, product? Uh, can, we, can we break that down a little bit and understand why it's uh, so contentious. Can we see a, a way forward where there isn't a blanket statement about all bottled water is evil or against the environment or a waste? Um, and I think really coming into this as a skeptic and as someone who didn't really understand what the fuss was about, I've really been grateful for this opportunity to see that this story is actually much more complex. And in fact, I see an opportunity here for um, these small producers to have, an, have a voice about the environment and to actually play a really positive role in um, protection of water resources, in making people aware that water is exciting and uh, interesting and varied. Um, and I think you've heard this uh, you know, this perspective all through my essays that I was writing for the, for the course, all of my top, I really wanted to get into this question of not shy away from the conflict, because I think just saying, um, oh, the people who are opposed to bottled water are wrong, I don't think they are. I think in many cases, they're absolutely right. Um, so it's this question of why is the controversy there? Where does it come from? Again, an interdisciplinary background, I want to think about the behavioral aspects of this, like what drives humans to have not only seek out these 
Epicurean pleasures, but to also um, team up on one side or another of them. What, how has water come to represent so much more than a consumer product or something that we can have alongside wine um, at the dinner table? So I think that's, in a nutshell, what this series is about. Um, I, I feel like I've been kind of relentless about it because I feel that it's an unexplored, untapped um, uh, way to move forward with these questions about the environment and bottled water. Yeah, and exactly what Elena described here is the problem we have from inside the bottled water industry. We know we have a fantastic product. We want to give people experiences. They see new things, but water is just considered water. Every, every water in a bottle is a bottled water. And what we've done with the Academy with Fine Waters and what Elena just describes is that things are a little bit more complicated than that. You know, every time you think you have a, a quick solution, it's probably the wrong solution. If you dig deeper, things become much more complicated. And exactly as Elena described, we, we want to dig a little bit deeper and see, is there a differentiation between the different waters? They come maybe from different places. Is every water really the same? And applying that principle and see what does it mean for our perception of bottled water? And again, having our anthropological background, we will deep, we'll dig deep into um, evolutionary biology. We will have some really interesting discussions. What is it that interests us as um, Homo sapiens so much with water? Why are we so passionate about the water and not so much about tomatoes? And I find it also really interesting your your take on the skepticism that you start out with skepticism. And then you come, you start digging deeper, you're open-minded, you dig deeper and you discover something. And I think that's a really, really good scientific process and a process that we would like people to consider is don't say no immediately, look a little bit deeper, listen to us and see if there's something there that can maybe differentiate your point of view about water a, a little bit more. And at the end of the course, uh, Elena, of course, uh, graduated as a, as a water sommelier, and you probably haven't received it yet, but we, I've put a, a pin in, in the mail, so very soon you should see a pin, and next time, hopefully, you can wear your pin, and that indicates that you, you're really a, a water sommelier. But yes, exactly the problem that you described is the thing we want to tackle here, and maybe we should start by talking giving you a little bit of an overview of what we want to do. This is the introductory here. We, we will dig deeper in, in many chapters, but maybe we should quickly talk about the different types of water and we can go down a list here and see the different waters. And then we give you an introduction of the, each of the chapters. We have, uh, I think, 12 chapters in total. And that hopefully makes you come back and listen to us more digging deeper into each of the topics. Yeah, the one thing I, I would add to that, uh, Michael, is that uh, this came out of a conversation that we had where in my academic setting, I imagine writing a scholarly paper about all of these things I've been reading. So I've been essentially since uh, the, the confinement period started, I've just been devouring everything that I could find about water, um, whether it's Roman aqueducts uh, or the drinking water uh, pollution problems, Whatever it is, I've been trying to get my hands on it. And I came at this with, okay, I want to consolidate everything that I have been thinking about 
um, kind of in collaboration with someone in that world um, so that we can kind of tackle this question together about why water is controversial, why people um, have a hard time seeing water as something um, that has different flavors or personalities. Um, and then also, I think, I, I, you know, my, my imagination was that we would start with a scholarly paper, and then perhaps once we had published this scholarly paper, we could then refer to the scholarly paper in conversations with the public, with other people. And you pointed out that, in fact, there's another way to do this. Um, you can have the conversation first, where you invite people to ask questions, you invite people to be part of our inquiry about all of this, um, and maybe that can lead you to a product that then at the end of the day is much richer because you, you enter into this with a question rather than a statement, right? So I think we share this desire to ask questions and try to make sense of things, um, ideally uh, at times with other people. So we'll have guests as well um, who may weigh in with their particular perspectives. But what we want to emphasize is that this isn't a finished product. This isn't us telling the world how they should think. But it's, it's both of us recognizing that this is a really complex topic. It brings out very strong emotions that, um, that are very different depending on people's perspectives. And rather than saying that one person is right and the other person is wrong, what I'd like to do is, is just dive into that conflict, I guess, and talk a bit uh, more about that, sort of in addition to just providing an introduction about, about water and why water isn't just water. Very good. Yes, absolutely. Forgot to mention, yes, this is a process. This, this is the process of writing the paper and we invite other people to you join us in that process. And I think it's an interesting way of doing this. And, you know, with Zoom and all this kind of technology, it's, it's really easy. It's more communicative. So, what is not just water? So what are, why is water not just water? Um, there is uh, natural water and there's processed water. We will talk about this. Some water comes from a spring, it's, it's a natural product. Other waters come from a factory and it's very different things. Both things end up in a bottle and most people consider both things bottled water. Yes, Michael, you mentioned that there are different kinds of water that water can be natural water or made in a factory. But I think it's also important to point out that water comes from different sources and comes in different forms. So water can come from wells that have been dug um, where water is lifted up mechanically. It can be water that's been under pressure, like an artesian spring. Uh, you can drink water that's um, rainwater from icebergs, glaciers, the clouds. And at the same time, water can come in different forms. So water that has different mineral content that can affect flavor, waters that may be different pH, um, or some waters are carbonated and others are not. So all of these things affect flavor, showing right there that water is not just water. Well, Chris, uh, pretty interesting stuff, huh? Hello? Yes, Rob, I'm right here. Buddy. Oh, okay. I guess they went to the thing. I guess we're coming up against the, uh, we've got about six more minutes. Sorry. Uh, it was a little hard to hear at this end from my, from my perspective. But uh, pretty interesting about that kind of water. You know, 
people, there's companies that oxygenate the water and infuse it with other things. So I guess it's like wine. You either, you know, somebody's with a, a palate's going to decide what's going to be rating high points and what's not going to be rated high points. But that doesn't mean we all taste the same. No, I guess what I'm interested in is, you know, the next time I go into a fancy restaurant, um, as well as the wine sommelier, I get somebody that comes up to me and says, which water can I serve to you today, sir? Um, yep. That'll be an interesting, yeah, that'll be an interesting experience. But you never know, it might catch on, right? Who would have known just, you know, 20, 25 years ago, uh, 30 years ago, maybe, that we'd, you know, we'd be willing to pay, you know, five ninety five in an airport for a 12-ounce bottle of water. Yep. Yeah, which <laughs> we don't... I certainly wouldn't guess that. And we don't know where it comes from. I mean, they say sometimes it's from somewhere, but we don't know that for a fact. And, and you know, some is spring water, some is, you know, they, well, usually when they come to the table in a restaurant, they say, do you want sparkling or still water? That's all they tell you. Yeah. And and, and I'll tell you, like, I like carbonated water, seltzer water. And I can tell you that if I get Pellegrino, which is a big, famous brand, I... I don't really like it as much because the, the carbonation is very soft, meaning I, I don't taste, I don't feel a lot of the bubbles, a lot of carbonation. I like a lot of carbonation. So I tend not to have Pellegrino, even though it's, it's a good water, but I'm looking for that bubbly, the real bubbly shock to you when it comes to you at, at that. And, uh, but you don't know. And then how, how's somebody going to rate that? You know, to me, that's just a matter of personal taste. It's not a, Unless somebody's going to put together standards of what this thing has to have, but even even if it did, with, with the amount of minerals, are they going to divide it by what kind of minerals are in yeah. it? Process. I mean, it, it, I I don't know if it's a great idea or not, but they do that for wine. And my my big deal with wine is, you can have a hundred and fifty two hundred dollar bottle of wine that tastes like cat peak, excuse the expression, and and yet you can go to Trader Joe's and buy a three buck chuck and it can taste really good to you. So how do you rate that? I mean, just because somebody's palate says, oh, the tannins are good on this and this is that. Uh, I find that really hard to swallow, I guess is the right word here. Yeah, I would think, you know, my guess would be this. And by the way, you and I are probably on the opposite side of the spectrum as far as it goes to carbonated or seltzer water. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a, as kind of I refer to it, right, or soda water. Right. Yeah, sparkling water, fizzy water, club soda, you know, that kind yeah. of stuff, whatever it is. But, you know, even mineral waters, right, you can get carbonated uh, these days. Um, but that's mostly if yes. it's not naturally carbonated, it's infused or, you know, somehow can contain some dissolved carbon dioxide gas, either artificially put in there or naturally occurring. Yeah. Um, to me, the carbonated the carbonated water, which whichever it is, right, the small little bubbles and all that that, that caused the form, and, it, you know, I like the fact that it gives water this effervescent kind of quality and all that kind of stuff. But it, to me, it flattens the taste of water. I don't know if that's the way you feel as well, but that's, that's yeah. how it does. No, I, I totally agree with that. It's, you know, it, it, it's, it's really hard because, you know, there's a lot of companies making sports water, bottled water. And even, and even, even the uh, wastewater people who replenished water, they sometimes have to add more minerals back into the water. Yeah, and I've seen that. We had, we had a person on, if you remember, a while back, we had a person on that was talking about 
um, different kinds of, uh, of water, mineral water, and telling us all about how the minerals get in there, and it's potassium, it's sodium bicarbonate, it's sodium citrate, um, you know, all this stuff. It was interesting. Yeah. I mean, I see all these companies out. There's that uh, bubbly stuff that they have. Michael Buble do the commercials, I think, are really cute. Yeah, that's great. Those are good. Yeah. yeah. And, and and I see, like I said, I mean, I wasn't trying to knock San Pellegrino. I mean, it, it tastes good, but it's not. It, it wouldn't be my first choice. I, I like stuff like getting an ice cream soda that has that bubbly taste to it. You know, the, the old fashioned, the old fashioned soda that you would get. And but but again, that's just my taste preference. It's like a painting. You know, you can see these paintings for millions of dollars, and and they don't mean anything to me. I mean, they're just a bunch. Of Looks like somebody spilled a bunch of paint on a on a on a canvas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I you know I got to straighten something up, but I don't want to mislead you mislead you when I say we're on opposite sides of the carbonated water because there's one type of carbonated water I love very very much. You know what that's called? Spelled C P E R with an I P A in front of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, good. I hope everybody. Hope, hope our listeners uh, got a chuckle and, and thinks about that. It makes you go, hmm, anyway. But anyway, it's time for us to go, and we'll be back on next week. Hope everybody's going to have a great weekend. It's going to be hot out here. It's going to be cool weather down with Christmas. And uh, But I guess everybody just enjoy your weekend. And the most important thing that we want to tell you to do every week is please help keep our planet blue. And those, and, yeah, and those of you who like green, you can't do it unless you have blue. So good night, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. CAA Loma Linda. The legacy KCAA 1050 AM and Express 106.5 FM. NBC News Radio. I'm Brian Shook. Powerful storms are pushing through portions of Oklahoma.